Good morning, everyone. Am I on? Can you guys hear me? All right. Can you hear me now? Yeah, there we go. Uh, my name is Tim, one of the pastors here at Brookside. Let me say something I hope you've all already heard a few times this morning that we just say we hope you had uh, a, a great Thanksgiving, uh, either a few days ago on Thursday or whenever you celebrated. I know whenever you add all the things we have to be thankful for ourselves, when you add all those other things together with time with friends and family and a lot of food and football, it makes for a great weekend except for a football game on Friday that I'm trying to repress a few hours of that from my memory. Uh, I got more texts about wearing black and gold today than I probably ever have, so I'm very proud to say I have no black and gold on me right now, but I have no red either, unfortunately. So, uh, well, if you've been around Brookside for a while, you know that we talk a lot about the Bible. Or if you if you're new and if you stick around Brookside for a while, you'll learn that we talk a lot about the Bible. Every week, the Bible, this book, is the foundation for what we preach and what we teach. I'm so thankful. That's been the history of this church since its beginning. This commitment to the Bible is a value that all of our leaders share. Or, or this emphasis on the Bible also takes shape as we encourage you all to be in the Bible daily. That's why we've made so much of this 365 reading plan that we've been doing over the course of 2016. And then I know for myself, I always try to bring the Bible up as I meet with people and uh, either over lunch or in meetings or whatever. I'm always looking for ways biblical truth intersects into our conversations together. And so, so we talk a lot about the Bible. And, and this emphasis on the Bible at Brookside, it's not token. The, the reason we talk so much about the Bible is because we really believe the message of this book is that big of a deal. It makes all the difference in the world what we do with it. The message of this book is something we all need to hear and respond to. It's good news that's offered to all of us. The truths of this book matter for our lives today. And so whether you're just starting to investigate Christianity or whether you've been following Jesus for a long time at Brookside, we want to keep putting the Bible in front of you. But then as we keep coming back to the Bible week after week after week as we gather together, we don't just want to say that we come to the Bible. I mean, that's important that we keep doing that, but, but ultimately, as we keep coming back to the Bible, we want to say, how are we approaching it? What attitude are we coming to this book with? You see, it's essential for us to carefully consider how we come to this book. When you think about the Bible, does the attitude with which you come to it, does it come closer to indifference or excitement? Would your approach to this book be characterized more by apathy or anticipation? Because whether you've thought about it consciously or not, all of us here come to this book with some sort of attitude, with some sort of approach about what we think about this book, about what it does, about what it is, and what that means for us. And, and here's how I want us to be coming to the Bible. Here's how we as leaders want you to be coming to this book. We want you to come hungry to the Bible. I mean, just, just think about how you approached your Thanksgiving feast a few days ago, whether it was Thursday or Saturday or whenever you celebrated with friends and family. 
Uh, if your Thanksgiving meal was anything like mine, it wasn't leftovers and slim pickings, right? I mean, as, as more friends and family showed up, there was more food that was just piled across the counters. Turkey and mashed potatoes and pies and salads. And then in one small dark corner of the room, cranberries, you know, which nobody wants. Uh, I mean, it, it's a feast. We're all lined up. Our mouths are watering. We can't wait to get into the food, to dive in and to start eating. That's how I want us to come to the Bible. This isn't leftovers and this isn't slim pickings. I want us to come hungry to this book. I want us to, to be ready for big things to happen as we come to this book. I want us to expect big things as we come to this book and as we, as we encounter the God who wrote it. Approaching the Bible like that and even just thinking about how you approach the Bible, it may be new to you. And right now, you've got questions firing through your mind. Good questions that are worth asking. Questions like, why? Why is the Bible such a big deal that I should even care about how I approach it? Why is the Bible such a big deal that I come to it eagerly? Or, or another good question is, is how? If I come hungry to the Bible... How do I do that? Um, what does that even look like? How do you approach the Bible with that sort of attitude? These are important questions to ask because, because if you're just investigating Christianity here this morning, these are the sorts of questions you want to have answered, which just makes sense, before you'll consider the Bible and what it says and what it means for your life. But for everybody here who's been following Jesus for a while, these questions are just as important. Because we never want our Bible reading or the way we approach this book to become mechanical. And so, so the more we come back to these important questions, the more we're, we're shown what the Bible is, what it does, and why it stays important for our lives. Why its message really is that big of a deal. And so, so these two questions are going to frame the backbone of this sermon. Everything we talk about this morning is going to be around these two big pieces why do we come hungry to the Bible? And how do we come hungry to the Bible? But remember, as we talk about the why and the how, what it's all about is to help us with approach, is to help us come hungry to the Bible, come eager to feast so, so, so we can't wait to get back into it. So we're eager, so we anticipate getting into this book. So, so let's start with the first question, why? Why is the Bible such a big deal that we should come to it eagerly? Why is it such a big deal that we come hungry to it? Well, whenever I hear this question, one of the verses that, that always comes to my mind as, as I start to bring up a response to it is just a single verse in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews is the book that we've been reading recently this last few days in the 365 reading plan. So, so let's go there this morning. And, and we're going to camp on just this one verse in Hebrews 4 this morning, this verse and a few verses around it. Now, if you're new to the Bible, uh, Hebrews, the, the best way to find it is probably to start at the very back of your Bible. To go to the book of Revelation, and then to start backing up from there. You'll, you'll back up through books like Jude, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, 1st and 2nd Peter. These are all really small books. You'll back up through James, and then right after you back up through James, you'll hit a larger book, the book of Hebrews. And, and while you're going there, because we, we want you there this morning, 
We love it when people follow along closely in Scripture with us. While you're going there, let me give you just a little bit of background on the book of Hebrews. Hebrews is a letter that was written in the first century to a group of Jewish men and women who had chosen to follow Jesus Christ. Hence the name of the book, Hebrews. These were Hebrew men and women. This was a, this was a, a largely Jewish church of Hebrews that had chosen to follow Jesus, place their faith in him. And so the writer of Hebrews is encouraging this Hebrew congregation to stay the course, to follow Jesus through even tough times sometimes, and he's writing to them on everything that Jesus Christ adds to all the promises God has made in the Old Testament. So it's, so it's a great book. But once you get to Hebrews, find Hebrews 4.12. That's where we're going this morning. And let me read it for us. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. That verse is loaded with truth that has everything to do with why we come hungry to the Bible. If we we look closely at this verse, that's what we're going to do for the next little bit. We're going to see that this book deserves our attention because of what it is and because of what it does. So, So just zeroing in on that verse, let's look at what what the Bible, what, what, what the Bible is. So we'll look first at this, at this, at this phrase, a small phrase in the first sentence of that verse. For the word of God is living and active. Just think about that phrase, the word of God, for a second. That phrase should blow us away. Because we know from the beginning of scripture, beginning of the Bible, that God is a speaking God. There are verses we can point to where God speaks directly to people. And there are lots of verses we can point to where God speaks to his people through others. Just flip back a page or two in your Bibles. Go to Hebrews chapter 1. We we see this idea that God is a speaking God reinforced there. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 1. Right out of the chute. Hebrews says, in the past God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. The bottom line is that God is a speaking God. So so hang on to that truth for a second. And then then let's look at 2 Timothy 3.16, where the apostle Paul weighs in on this idea. Shows us one of the primary ways, the primary way, That God speaks to us today. 2 Timothy 3.16 says that all scripture is God-breathed. And is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So so as Paul weighs in, he says, okay, let's look at God's speech, right? This is God-breathed. What is God-breathed? Scripture is. The big thing to take away is that this book, the Bible, is God's speech to us. The Bible is God's word to us. The one who spoke creation into existence continues to speak to us through this book. That statement that the Bible is God's word is a big statement. It's one of those statements that's big enough that the more you think about it, the bigger it gets. 
God's word is God's words. But I know some of you say, whoa, Tim, hang on. How can you say that any book is God's word? Because you know how big of a statement that is. And so you're putting the brakes on a little bit to say, how, how can this book be that? How can this book be God's word? That's an important enough question to ask that I want to take one second, or a little bit longer than one second, but, but get my foot in the door with a quick response to it. Because it's such a big question, such a good question to ask. So, so let me build a case for this book in about a minute. I would say that it's very reasonable to believe that God exists. More reasonable even than believing that everything came from nothing. And, and once you acknowledge that God exists, it makes a ton of sense to say that this God who created us would communicate with us, would want to talk with us in a way that we would understand. And, and so then the question becomes, Okay, if God exists, and if it makes sense that God would communicate with us, how? How does God communicate with us? And, and that's where, when, when we put this book and stack it up against other religious texts, and against every other historical document, the Bible stands out as tremendously unique, as tremendously reliable, as tremendously true, in all sorts of ways. Um, that's my invitation for you to fact check me on that. Do just a little bit of digging into the reliability of this book's message, into the truthfulness of this book's message. And, and I think you will see that this book stands out as unique and reliable in all sorts of ways. The Bible is God's word. And, and that truth, that the Bible is God's word, that should always grab us. When, when we think about who this book is from, that should absolutely shape the way we approach it. While my wife and I were dating, and while we were engaged, uh, I, I kept this box of, of a bunch of the notes and things that she gave me during that time. Right? And so, so in here I've got a bunch of, of notes that she'd write to me, just little quick notes. I've got the Frappuccino bottle from our first thing that halfway approached a date, you know. Uh, I've actually got a mixtape in here, I think. So if you want to see a cassette tape, blast from the past right here. Uh, on the front, I don't know if you can see this from me, right? I've actually got apple stickers taped to it because she eats a lot of apples. And so we'd be walking, she'd stick the apple sticker on my shirt on my piece of paper if we were in class, whatever. I, I kept those things. I, I kept this box because of who it's from. These apple stickers, I keep them because of who they're from. You give me an apple sticker this week, I don't have like this wall of apple stickers in my, in my, in my office, right? I, I'll throw it away. The only reason I keep these things is because, it's from, is because they're from Carrie. These notes are non-negotiable because in these notes, I get to know her better. I get to know how she thinks, what's important to her. This box has value to me entirely because of who it's from. And the same is true 
with Scripture. That truth that God has given us a book should absolutely shape the way that we see it. Should absolutely shape the way we come to it. The, the attitude with which we approach it. You see, God's word is uniquely valuable because it is from God. The good, gracious, holy, just, all-powerful, all-wise God who loves you, created you, and has given us a book. In this book, he reveals himself. He shows us what he's up to and how we can live in right relationship to him. This book should be so valuable to us because of who it's from. So Hebrews 4.12, we learn that the Bible is God's word and everything that that means. But, but as, we, as we keep tracking through that verse, we see that the word of God is also living and active. God's word isn't some irrelevant dead letter that was written millennia ago and has nothing to say to us. No, the Bible, its message, its truth is just as true today as it was in the first century when the New Testament was written, as it was in the time before Christ when the Old Testament was written. You see, the, 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 the Bible is alive and active. And, and so for, for people who ask questions about that, the, the thing that I invite them into is to say the, the best way to experience this living and active nature of the Bible is just to get into the Bible yourself. And so I invite them to commit to reading the Bible every day for 30 days. If you're looking for a place to start, just start right where we're at in our 365 reading plan. Read for 30 days every day. And you will see how much overlap there is between the message of this book, its principles, its truth, what it does in us and to us and for us. You'll see how much overlap there is between this book in our lives today. Because God's word is living and active. Because God is alive and God is working. We should come to this book hungry and expecting big things because the God of the Bible, the God who wrote the Bible, does big things in this book. And so, so if God's word is active, and if God's word is living, how is it active? What does it do? So, so this, this brings us to our next sub-point, I guess, underneath why we should come hungry to the Bible. Because of what it is, and because of what it does. Let's finish out Hebrews 4.12. We'll just keep reading. That scripture verse says that God's word is sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Other translations say it, it discerns or it exposes the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. And so all of this vivid language showing us how deeply the Bible cuts into us is just reinforcing this idea that the Bible gets inside of us to our deepest parts and can transform us from the inside out. I've seen this happen so many times to so many different people. Biblical truth can make us into more patient dads and into more patient moms. I've seen biblical truth 
change how people respond to tough circumstances. I've seen biblical truth change uh, indifferent people into caring people. I've seen biblical truth lead people into victory over destructive patterns as their thought processes are renewed, as their desires are transformed, and as their practices are shaped. And then as we keep reading through Hebrews 4, the next few verses show us how this sort of transforming power of God's word, how it works. We, we, we just saw in verse 12 that God's word exposes the thoughts and attitudes of our heart. Well, now look me down at the next verse, verse 13, where we read a verse that makes all of us squirm a little bit in our seats. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. God knows everything you've done. Think about that for a second. God knows everything you've done, every thought you've had, every motive that's driven, every action. God knows everything that you've done. And so for all of us here who love to manage our image and control our privacy settings so that way we know how much information other people can see about us, this, this truth that God knows everything you've done makes us uncomfortable because it reminds us that God knows the things we've tried to rationalize. God knows the things we've tried to bury. And God knows the things we've tried to avoid. God knows the things that maybe we're even deceiving ourselves into thinking something different about it, right? God knows us that well. But the good news is that God, through his word, graciously exposes those things to us. God loves us too much to let us keep spinning our wheels in bad patterns, bad habits, or avoiding things. God knows how we're designed to live. He knows those things in your life individually that need attention. And then he shows us how it looks to lean into him. Through this book. That's how it works. And, and then the good news continues because the exposing power of Scripture doesn't just leave us vulnerable, wide open before God. The, the exposing power of Scripture directs our focus as well. So we don't stay focused on our sin and our stuff and our weaknesses. Look with me at Hebrews 4, verses 15 and 16. Let's see where Scripture focuses our attention here. Verse 15 says, For we don't have a high priest. That, that high priest is talking about Jesus. We don't have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness. Right? So, so, so now that our weakness and our sin has been exposed, we find that this high priest, Jesus, can empathize with those things. So we don't have a high priest who's unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, and yet he was without sin. Then verse 16, I love it. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence. We're not cowering. 
We don't have to be hesitant. We're not not cautious as we approach God's throne of grace, fully aware of all of our stuff. We approach God's throne of grace confidently so that we may, may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Our focus as we encounter the exposing power of Scripture Spotlight's on Jesus. The spotlight is on his grace that is powerful enough to help us in our time of need. And so so in the space of just a few sentences here in Hebrews 4, we, we, we read about the exposing nature of Scripture and we read about the confidence and the grace that Jesus gives us. The Bible doesn't expose us to condemn us. The Bible exposes us to drive us to Jesus. The Bible exposes you to heal you. Let me give you a picture of what I'm talking about. I've got four boys, and they're a little bit older now, so our evening routine looks a little bit different. But not too long ago, whenever I would get home from work, the time from work until supper would basically be no holds barred, four against one, WrestleMania in our living room uh, until they got big enough to actually hurt me. And then we had to institute some new and some fresh rules, right? And so, so, so on these nights, I'd get home, and at any given time, there would be one, two, four boys kind of jumping on me, wrestling me until supper time or until we saw blood, <laughs> until somebody got hurt. And so, so one of these common injuries that would happen on these nights was a rug burn, right? I mean, one of the sons or, or me would land just the wrong way and we'd scuff up an elbow or a knee or, or one of the kids would be scurrying away from all the action, usually just to get a running start back into the action and, and then suddenly they'd ball up. They'd, they'd hold their, their elbow or their knee because they'd just gotten a rug burn. And so, so we'd call a timeout, Carrie or I would go over, both of us, try to find out what was going on and almost without fail, the response of this son was to favor the wound, to to protect it, to cover it up, to hide it from us. Not to show us, but to hide it. And so, so Carrie and I, you, you know what you have to say as a parent there. You say, hey, buddy, let me see it. If I'm gonna help you, I need to see what happened. You see, whether the appropriate mend was just a kiss to make it feel better, was a Band-Aid, was hydrogen peroxide, or whatever it was, we needed our son to show us what had happened before we could address it. We needed needed our son to expose the wound before we could heal it. And that is exactly the way I want you to think about the transforming power of Scripture in your life. I want to invite you to let the light of God's word shine on the deepest parts of your life. Not to condemn you, but so that you can be healed. So that you can find the grace to help you in your time of need. That's what scripture does. This is the truth that changes everything. The same Bible that exposes our weakness drives us to Jesus where we find the grace that we need, the transforming grace that we need in him. So Hebrews 4.12 has so much to tell us 
about why the Bible is a big deal. It's a big deal because of what it is. This book is God's word. And it's a big deal because of what it does. It gets, gets inside of us, gets underneath us to change us, driving us back again and again and again and again to Jesus and the grace that he gives. So let's move right into our next big question. Remember, there's two big pieces of this sermon. Why should we come hungry to the Bible? Now let's move into how do we do it? What does that actually look like? So, so now that we know why we should do that, why we want to come to the Bible eagerly and with hunger, how do we do it? What does that look like? Here's where I want to get very practical. Just get underneath the hood a little bit. Look at the nuts and bolts of what this right approach to Scripture actually means for our lives on a daily basis. I think at least three things are involved in us coming to the Bible very practically in a hungry way. First, coming hungry to the Bible means we give it consistent daily time in our lives. Everything in our lives that is worth anything to us, we make time for. Everything in our lives that's important to us, right, gets prioritized in terms of daily time, consistent time. It's funny how I find time to eat three times a day. You, you know, uh, the, the, the activities that my kids are in, soccer and robotics and things like that, those things are important to me, important enough to me, that I'm able to kind of move my schedule around to make those things happen, or at least a lot of them, as often as I can. And in the same way, we need to come to God's Word giving it consistent daily time. Our time reading the Bible is no different than the time we give to, to, to physical food or to time with our families or to time at work or whatever things are prioritized in our schedule. Time in the Word is that important as well. The, start, the, the, the place to start in coming to God's Word hungry is consistent daily time. And this sounds basic. I mean, this isn't rocket science, but that doesn't change one bit how important this idea of coming to God's word daily is. And just because it's basic doesn't mean it's easy either. Other things always seem to come up that crowd out that time in Scripture. I mean, if your best time is in the morning, it is always easier, it seems like, to hit snooze one or two more times than to get up and spend 20 or 30 minutes in Scripture. If your best time is at night, it is always easier to binge on Netflix, to catch up on emails, to get ahead for the next day at work, to fritter away your time on social media, whatever. It's always easier, it seems like, to do those things than to say, I I I'm best in the evening, so I'm going to give that time to, to 20, 30 minutes in Scripture. And to do that, it's always easier to do other things, it seems like. I, I mean, I know how tough it is. This is something I need to be diligent at as well. Because there are too many times that I can drift on this. Where I just fit in time with, in, with Scripture whenever it fits throughout the day. Rather than prioritizing it by giving it consistent time. But if I did that with Carrie... I'd be hearing about it, you know? If I just said, oh, it's not really convenient for me to, to hear about this big thing that happened in your day. Uh, why don't I come back to you when it's convenient for me, you know? Uh, not, that wouldn't be good, right? Uh, or, or, or at work, right? If I'm meeting with, with people 
uh, on the leadership team here at church. I can't say, you know what, this meeting time isn't really that great for me, so I'm, I'm just going to not make it work. No, we, we build those important things into the regular rhythms of our lives because of how important they are. That is how our time in Scripture should work. One great way to value Scripture, to come hungry to it, just value it enough to give it consistent daily time in your life. Another way to value Scripture, to, to, to come hungry to it, is by giving it our focused attention. And, and so, so here's where I want you to listen very carefully to what I'm about to say for the next 30 seconds, so, so you don't misunderstand me. I love that we have the Bible on mobile devices. I, I love that we have audio versions of the Bible that we can listen to while we're driving around or while we're jogging on the treadmill or whatever. I, I love those things. I use the Bible app on my phone all the time. Uh, there, there's oftentimes I'm driving around town and I've got the Bible playing just to make good use of that time. If I'm driving to a lunch meeting or back and forth from work, it's a great way to use that time. So I'm a fan of these creative ways we have to access the Bible. Hear me say that. I'm a fan of those. But if every time we ever come to Scripture, we are always multitasking. By listening to the, to, to, to the, to the Bible in the car while we're driving around, then I think we have to ask if we're, if we're giving the Bible our full attention. Because as valuable as it is to use drive time well, I know how easy it is to be listening to the Bible. Someone cuts you off, and suddenly you're like, come on! And like, for like 30 seconds, you're like, I have no idea what the last, scripture, what the last chapter of Scripture just said. You, you know, I mean, it's just tough to give it your focused attention when you're thinking about traffic. Because we want you thinking about traffic while you're driving. Or, or, or if you're reading the Bible on your phone. And if you're trying to get through one chapter of Scripture, and you're interrupted by 15 tweets, notifications, and a phone call, you have to ask if that's the best way to read scripture, right? I mean, turn off notifications, whatever it is, but, but find ways to give the Bible undistracted attention. If that means setting your settings a certain way, do it. If that means putting this down for 20 minutes to, to open up the hard copy, do it. The, the, I don't care how it happens, but the thing I'm I'm challenging you to, is to say, how are we giving the Bible not our multitasked, distracted attention, but how are we giving the Bible our best attention? Because you can tell when somebody's paying attention to you or not, right? I mean, if you're talking with somebody and their eyes are always kind of over your shoulder, or if they're watching everything else that's going around you, you know they're only halfway paying attention, we don't give honor to this book or to the one who wrote it when, we, when the only time we come to it is distractedly, is doing other things. So, so I think you get what I'm saying on that. But, but, but the value is focused attention, however it needs to happen. Creatively think about this. This is, this is where I know guys and gals who use their lunch hour at work well this way, Right? Because they know that's their best time for undistracted attention. They can get at a table by themselves, have 20 or 30 minutes to read scripture. Or, or I know parents who use nap times well for this. Because if you've got young kids, finding any 10 or 20 minute window of time is tough. But they say, we're going to take 20 minutes of our kids' nap time and get into this book. 
because of who it's from and because of what it does. The bottom line is creatively coming to this book and giving it our focused attention. The third way we come hungry to the Bible is through a willingness to follow God's word in something I call trusting obedience. Because nothing underlines the value we place on scripture quite like obedience. Obedience, even when it's tough and it, and it comes at the cost of my personal preferences. You see, the people that I know who I describe as having the right view of the Bible, they're not the ones who necessarily have all, all the big words memorized or all the answers to all the questions. The people that I describe as having the right view of the Bible are the ones who come to it willing to obey it, even when it's tough. The, the people I know who come to the Bible the right way are the ones who are still looking for ways to take fresh steps of obedience and to spend time in this word daily, even after decades of following Jesus. The people I know who come to this book right are the ones who, who cling to its promises, even in the face of tough circumstances. That is what approaching the Bible the right way looks like. And so, so let's keep coming back to this book. We'll, we'll keep doing that as a church every time we gather on Sundays. We'll, we'll keep encouraging community groups and giving community groups resources to do that. Let's keep coming back to this, this book. We'll do that as a church. Do that in groups on your own, on your campuses, in your families, with your friends. Do this individually. I'm excited to let you know we'll have a refreshed 365 reading plan in 2017 available for you here in just a few weeks because we want to keep getting this book in front of as many people as we can in every way that we can. It's that important. And then as we keep coming back to this book, let's think about the attitude with which we're coming to it. Let's come hungry. Let's expect big things as we approach this book because in this book, we encounter the living God. And let's come hungry, willing to give this book our trusting obedience. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, as we think about the things, all the things we have to be thankful for, God, God hear us say we're thankful that, you, that you've shown us who you are in the Bible, that you've shown us what you're doing in the Bible and how we can live in a way that honors you. So Jesus, by your grace, show us the things in our lives that need attention. And then by your grace, direct us to Jesus where we can find the help that we need to live in a way that honors you. Jesus, thanks for the Bible. Amen.